Welcome to Strategies for Turbulent Times with your hosts, Matthew Werner and Dr. Kathy Greenberg, here to help you stare down adversity, adapt, improvise, and overcome the challenges you are facing in your own life. Now, here are Dr. Kathy and Captain Matthew. Welcome to Strategies for Turbulent Times. We're always happy when you join us and take the time out of your busy schedule uh, to listen to our guests. And let me welcome uh, my co-host, Matthew Werner. And I think, Matthew, you, uh, you made a, a good point right before we went on air. Uh, this is the first show that we have done where we are not in the same room together. So today should be interesting. Yes, thank you, Chad. Um, I, I tell you, it's, uh, it, will, it will be interesting. Uh, and the most interesting part about it is that we have uh, retired Major General John Gronsky on the show today. And I'm excited about the show. I mean, not just to finally meet this uh, extreme uh, just brain of a leader, uh, but also what's what's going on in today's world with uh, what's going on overseas. And we w- won't draw this too far out because we only have one hour. But, uh, yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I uh, just want to welcome our guest, Major retired Major General John Gronsky of the United States Army. And uh, back to you, Kat. Well, we're going to probably bounce around a little bit here, and we're very happy to have John with us today. Let me just set the tone uh, for the show today uh, on a couple levels. Uh, The first is we're going to talk about beyond iron sharpened leadership. And as many of you may know, uh, if you're familiar with John's work, uh, he has several books, one of which is called Iron Sharpened Leadership. And our show today actually comes to life with our author and warrior, uh, John Gronsky, a former U.S. Army general. And between 2003 and 2007, for those of you who will remember, these were some of the deadliest years of the Iraq War uh, with over 899 U.S. troops lost by the end of 2007. So today we're going to talk about how a mindset for our iron sharpens iron goes beyond the battlefield to the home front. And we're going to talk about how we take what we've learned in the field as a, as a working warrior like Matthew and like John and bring it to bear on our current way of being, our current mindset, uh, and across law enforcement, public safety, and our special response teams, uh, this is critical for many, many reasons. So that's going to be one level. Another level is going to be about coaching to these kinds of mindsets, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about some of John's uh, experience with his programs, bringing it into Uh, law enforcement. And then the third level, hopefully, will be a little bit of fun here because we got Army versus Navy going on here, and I'm not sure if y'all are familiar with that war, but it's been going on for quite some time, and I'm sure these two 
wonderful esteemed warriors are going to get into a little sparring while we're here on the air. But without further ado, I just want to uh, give you a couple highlights uh, of John's uh, bio. And I'm not going to go into all the details. You can, you can go to his website, and I'm sure John will share that with us at uh, Leader Grove and look for more fascinating information on John. But obviously, we've hit on a couple of these uh, high points. John was a major general in the U.S. Army. He's now retired and CEO of Leader Grove, which is a consulting firm focused on leadership. Uh, he is the author of two books, one called The Ride of Our Lives and the other one, Iron Sharpened Leadership. And he is a fellow with the Association of the United States Army. He has a very long history uh, with the United States Army and the Pennsylvania National Guard, both uh, in tactical and operational roles uh, and at the strategic level. And uh, he has so many wonderful, uh, you know, military uh, awards and many, many distinguished uh, awards. But I just want to say that we're very, very proud to have you with us today, John. And you and I share a passion for the U.S. Army War College, uh, where you were for some time uh, and where I did some teaching there uh, over about a, a decade. But I'm so happy you're here with us today. Let me just crow about you a little bit in terms of your awards. I know you all don't really like to have people uh, focus on that, but you are the Army Distinguished Service Medal recipient. Uh, you are a Legion of Merit, both with Oak Leaf Cluster recipients, a Bronze Star, uh, and all for the uh, uh, Iraq Campaign Medal as well. You received awards from uh, international organizations, including Poland and Lithuania, for work with those forces. And uh, you are just a, a wonderful speaker. And I remember a funny little story I will share between 2005 and 2006, when you commanded the 2nd Brigade, the 28th Infantry Division, consisting of over 5,000 soldiers and Marines in combat operations in Ramadi, Iraq. And for those of you who are listening, you remember that was uh, a very challenging uh, place to be. And John, I believe your son was over there serving uh, with you as well. And it was right about this time of year, uh, there were quite a few deaths. Uh, there was a lot of sadness. And a girlfriend here decided she was going to go and buy as much candy as she could and pack it up and ship it to you in Iraq, which, oddly enough, cost me well over the amount of the money it cost me for the candy. <laughs> but uh, evidently, it got there and it was enjoyed. So... Without further ado, John, welcome to the show. Hey, Kat and Matthew, thank you very much. Uh, I'm excited to be with you both and looking forward to our conversation. Do you remember that, John? <laughs> Absolutely, I do. It was very, very <laughs> nice. And, and, you know, and I think Matthew will agree, when, when you know, troops overseas receive care packages from back home, it, you know, we appreciate that because, you know, 
the soldiers feel like, hey, you know, somebody back in America is thinking about us, you know, and, and to the soldiers, you know, these packages come from people they, they don't even really know. So uh, it, it's, it's much appreciated, and that was very, very nice. Uh, I just laugh, Matthew, because we always uh, go to the grocery store and look at all the candy that's available that you want to buy for the kids. Of course, their parents hate us. But the bottom line is uh, the candy costs almost nothing, even though we bought large quantities. It was the $800 shipping charge that blew me away. So, yeah, it was well worth it's it. Great. it was well worth it. <laughs> well, hey, I, I, I want to just introduce the audience to one other. Uh, I mean, we're talking about overseas, uh, but you know, us that are involved with law enforcement throughout the nation, uh, we have. Uh, I want don't want to call them troops, but they are troops deployed to the southern border that are supporting this. Uh, you know, immigration effort. So think about, you know, supporting those folks that are actually away from home, supporting this border effort as well. Thank you, That's a great great point. Great point. So, John, uh, we'd like to to get to know our our guest a little little bit. Uh, Tell us a little bit about how you became fascinated uh, with a career in the military and then uh, how that led to where you are now. Yeah, I guess, uh, Kat, I joined the Army for a reason. A lot of young people joined the Army was to get out of my hometown, to be quite frank about it. Uh, but but then after being in the Army and uh, just, just you know, understanding the camaraderie that, that you know, soldiers have with one another, the shared values, uh, the sense of patriotism, I mean, that all grew uh, as I... Uh, continued my career in, in, in the army, and that and that's why I stayed. That's why I stayed for just over forty years, um, and uh, it was just a wonderful experience. I like to say that the army did a lot more for me than I ever did for it, uh, and I feel the same way about our, our our country. And it was just it was just an honor to serve. It truly was. I appreciate that, there, John. Um, it's uh, it's very true. I mean, the service does so much more for us than what we do for the service. But we give our best, right? And just knowing everybody that's, you know, in a uniform, whether it's of service for the United States military, the, you know, law enforcement, we are always looking after to do the best for our community, but also our nation. And I think that that's the kind of like the road that we're going to go down. Um, that's what I'm feeling here. Um, just understanding your career there, John, on what your thoughts, you know, with all your experience, especially over in Europe, um, on what's going on in the world today. But also just keeping a sound, uh, balanced mind as we watch everything that's going on with what we see on television what we hear from our neighbors on questions on what's going on overseas, uh, which is consistent. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll punt it back over to you there, Kat, on, um, on, a, on a brilliant question I'm sure you have in your mind. Um, but, yeah, let's, let, let's just get down to the, uh, you know, brass tacks, as some of us call it. It's, it's you know, what, what's going on and uh, how do we keep sane and stable um, throughout our, our lives to be more positive. Well, you know, we know that 
life is about instability. Uh, life is about managing uh, those balances. And all of us have our, you know, different ways of doing that. One of the things that, uh, Don, we wanted to chat with you about today was what was this desire to create uh, a book like Iron Sharpen Leadership based, I believe, uh, on a, uh, a, a verse from the Bible? And, and how have you taken all of the lessons that you've learned in theater and in life uh, and, and applied them from just, you know, anecdotal stories that you have from um, The Ride of, uh, of Our Lives, another book you wrote, um, you know, the importance of even the small things that we need to recognize in these complex initiatives that we call life. Um, and, you know, I, I'm always fascinated with what, what were these motivations you had to share your experiences to make other human beings better? Yeah, uh, Kat, Kat, thanks for that question. I, I, I appreciate that. And, and, and you're right, the, uh, the title of the book, Iron Sharpened Leadership, I mean, it's based on Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen: as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And, you know, as I've gone through my journey in life, uh, there always seemed to be people who were able to, uh, you know, motivate me, inspire me, help me along. You know, I'm talking about mentors. I'm talking about coaches, those, those type of, of people. And, and I think that's really what Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen. Uh, speaks of and and what it means to me as you know as as we lead organizations you know we we've got to find mentors in our life coaches in our life that we can reach our hand up to people who are stronger than us perhaps a little bit more talented than we are and and allow them to help us along and to teach us but at the same token we've got to reach our hand down to other people who uh, maybe are not as talented as we are or as strong as we are and and it's incumbent on us to help others along as well, because I, I do think one of the main responsibilities of any leader is to develop future leaders. So we have to allow ourselves to be helped, and we have to also reach our hand down and, and help others. And, and really, you know, the, the, the book is, is based on my leadership philosophy, and my leadership philosophy is character, leader, competence, and resilience. And so in, in the book, I talk about those three aspects of my leadership philosophy. I'm big on storytelling. I think stories resonate a, uh, a lot more with people than, than concepts do, so I do share a lot of stories in, in my book uh, around those three concepts. So uh, I'll, just, I'll just pause there for a moment and, and see if you have any uh, additional questions or comments based on what I just said. Yeah, I tell you, I, I appreciate it there, General. I'm reflecting here and I'm processing off of a conversation I had with another general, Robin Rand, who was in charge of uh, the Air Force. And, you know, kind of being from my neck of the woods. And, of course, I, I love the principles that both you and him provide. Um, you know, iron sharpens iron. And what does that mean? And like you're saying, we sharpen each other as humans, um, as leaders, 
as, uh, you know, all of a sudden you become a part of an institute or an organization and you are that leader and you look back and you're like, okay, what did they see in me? Well, they were sharpening you. But the, the thing I, I will um, share between uh, both you and Robin, uh, who goes by Baba, who I was draw, drawing a, a direct link with here, uh, General, is that um, you know it's, you have so much leadership experience, and what as a junior person is actually listening to. Um, like I just got done talking with the uh, sheriff's department up in uh, upstate Florida, you put leadership into anything, the young person will not look at it. They will not listen to it. And the, the, the criticality of it is that before they know it, they'll be put into those leadership positions, which as we know, especially with law enforcement and military as well, um, you, you just get thrust into this position. It's like, okay, you went through a course, you went through a day or two of leadership. Um, now all of a sudden, you know, you wait a year and your evals, evaluations get, get you thrust into that position. And it's like, yeah, well, I'm all of a sudden the old person or the, the senior person. Um, it's how to attract and how to get these people into understanding the stability of a mindset you know, iron sharpens iron. Matthew, we're going to go to a break right now, so I'm going to be a professional interrupter, which I love to do. So don't go right, away. We'll, we'll be right back. You're listening to Strategies for Turbulent Times. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Results will always favor the peak performer. MagnusWorks is a cutting-edge mobile app to help you and your team build peak performance across 11 critical well-being domains to go from great to Magnus. MagnusWorks balances individuals with real-time tailor-made check-ins with pulse vibes to increase mental, physical, and emotional well-being. It spans every aspect of your daily life. Get started now. Inspire, educate, impact, and transcend. MagnusWorks.com. That's Magnus, W-O-R-X.com. How can you be brilliant in the moment, given the daily challenges you face at work and home? How can you enhance your strengths and limit your weaknesses? Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler's mission is to help people be the best version of themselves at work and at home with simple, trusted, evidence-based tips and tools. They have combined forces, applying the powerful science of emotional and social intelligence with the latest in e-learning and AI technology to bring you the Emotional Brilliance Academy. Through the leading Emotional Brilliance Academy programs, they help everyday leaders like you balance your emotions to better connect with people, enhance top performance, lead your teams and your organization. The Emotional Brilliance Academy gives you a common sense approach to enhance your effectiveness and happiness both on and off the job. Sign up for the program, enhance your skills, and be your best self. For a free trial, go to freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. That's freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. EBA is powered by Fearless Leaders Group, the H2C Leadership Foundation, and True North Leadership. 
It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Welcome back to Strategies for Turbulent Times. Have a question for Dr. Cat or Captain Matt? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Strategies for Turbulent Times. We're having an engaging conversation with former General John Gronsky, author of Iron Sharpened Leadership. When we went to break, John, we were uh, talking a little bit about uh, the the branding uh, of Iron Sharpened Leadership. We talked a little bit about uh, why you were engaged in writing this book. And one of the main principles you talk about uh, is is character. And before we jump in here to another subject, tell us a little bit about these principles, and especially character in today's environment where moral courage is uh, is in question every day. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I, when I talk about character, Kat, I, I talk about three elements un- underneath character. One is values. I think, I think we really have to understand what our core values are. And I, and I think a lot of people really fail to think long and hard about what their core values are. For example, you know, if you ask me what my core values are, I could immediately rattle them off. I, I'll tell you, it's service, integrity, and respect. Those are my three core values. That When my back's against the wall, you know, that, that, that's what I go for. So I, I think that's ex- extremely important, the values component of it, and people understanding what their core values are. Because think about this. When you make a personal decision, shouldn't you factor your core values into the personal decisions you make? So that's, what, what, that's one of the reasons they're so important. The other thing is cultivating trust in an organization or in a team that you lead. And I think there's several elements to cultivating trust. You know, I do think you have to trust others first. You have to provide a vision. You have to display integrity, lead by example. And, and then the last element of character is about caring for those we lead. And and there I talk about servant leadership, which really means placing the welfare of those you lead ahead of your own welfare. You know, in the Army, we say leaders eat last, which is a a metaphor to mean, hey, place our soldiers before ourselves. You know, take care of our soldiers' needs before we take care of our own needs. So, you know, when, when we talk about character, that's exactly what comes to my mind, Kat. Yeah. Hey, Matthew, I'd love for you to, as a, you know, troop chief uh, with a tier one organization, given what you just heard John describe, what are your comments on that? And what are your values? No. Well, I, I, I totally agree with that. And that's, uh, as you know, you and I are working with, um, you know, the nation's leaders in law enforcement. It's you put everybody else before yourself. And what those people that you put before you don't understand is that that's exactly what you're doing. Um, and it's a challenge as a leader. And, John, I, you know, appreciate your response on this. But it's, it's really like, you know, you go through a whole career. You're young. I'll just say it. You're young. You're dumb. 
and you're just going through the processes of like I just want to give something back, and that's my you know DNA. And quickly, you become responsible for, like myself, I mean, it's you're responsible for a whole fleet of ships, and you're at a very junior level as far as rank. But it's, you know, it's positional authority on what you're responsible for, and you quickly understand what's going on. And when you spend a whole career doing stuff like that for everybody else and not ever thinking about yourself, it's... It comes to a boiling point, um, and I love your I love your uh, strength of wisdom there, John. Um, and everything that you're giving out, absolutely 100 percent on board with. It's really like the mental model of how to deal with that stuff, because we yeah. have too many incidences of you know suicides, divorces, etc. You know. Um, and it's really like that's what Cat and I are working on. How can we make the younger generations better? Because you and I both know those principles of leadership. We understand how to get to X. Um, but a lot of us, as we see in the news these days, we don't get to that point. So I'll kind of back yep. over to you, John. Yeah, you, you know, Matthew, you're, Matthew, you're, you're you're exactly right there, and. You know, and and I'm real big on, you know, character-based leadership, servant leadership, placing the welfare of your followers ahead of your own welfare. But at the same time, there's another element to that. Leaders do have to engage in self-care. And I think, you know, when you, when you take a look at the suicide epidemic, uh, not only for military, but also for, for law enforcement, you know, we, we, we do have to reach out and, and be humble enough to reach out when we need some help. You know, we have, we have to take a knee and drink water. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's about looking out for those we lead, but we also have to uh, engage in self-care so we could provide better leadership. You know, when I, when I spent the, the one year in Ramadi, before I went over there, you know, I had a mentor talk to me, and they, they said, hey, you know, you have to take at least one day a week off. You have to make sure you're, you're you know, eating, you know, you know, maintain a proper diet over there. You have to make sure you exercise. You should, you should get a fictional book that has nothing to do with war and, and read a fictional book while you're over there. And, you know, Matthew, I, I, I did none of those things. Um, and, and I just didn't because things were so chaotic, violent. I just felt um, I had other priorities. And, and, I'll, and I'll tell you, for anybody listening, that was a big mistake. Uh, and as a matter of fact, if anybody reads my book, you're, you're going to see that it's filled with mistakes I made and lessons I learned from those mistakes. But uh, I did not engage in self-care. I'm sure because of that, I probably made some, some poor decisions. And I would not recommend any, anybody uh, uh, does the same thing. I, I, I do think that mentor who provided me that advice, I should have followed through and listened to that advice, but I did not. Uh, so, you know, those, those are some of the things that I, I think that I like to pass on to young leaders out there who, who are listening. There's, there's one other thing I do want to say to young leaders, but, but Matthew or Kat, I'll give you a chance in case you want to comment first. No, go. Keep going. Great. I love it. Okay. Yeah, you know, I was over in Poland about a year ago, and they asked me uh, to come over and, and do uh, – 
some leadership presentations to various uh, military units within the, the Polish Armed Forces. And I remember at, at the end of one of my talks, you know, I always asked for questions, and I took some questions, did some Q&A. But then afterward, a young Polish lieutenant came up to me, and he asked me a question offline. He just didn't want to ask it in front of everybody else. But he said, you know, I'm, I'm graduating from the military academy here in Poland. You know, I'm, he said, you know, he's 22 years old, and he was going to be leading soldiers in, in his platoon that had, you know, 15, 17 years' experience, you know, were close to 20 years older than he was. And he said, you know, how do I lead people like that? And I thought to myself, man, that's exactly what our lieutenants in the Army go through, you know, where they're going to be taking over a leadership of a platoon with, with soldiers in that platoon who, who have a lot more military experience than they do, a lot more life experience than they do. And, and I, I came up with this little acronym. I said, it's, it's R-I-D. First, you have to show those soldiers that you lead respect. You have to show them the respect for the fact that they do have more experience than you have. They are more proficient in certain tasks than, than, than you're going to be right, right out of the gate. I said the second thing you got to be really careful with is you, you have to be uh, super, super focused on integrity. You know, your word is your bond. If you make a promise to someone, you better, you know, damn well follow through with, with, with keeping that promise. And be transparent. Make sure you provide information to them. And then I said the third thing is decisions. I said, you know, you're going to ask, if you're a good leader, you're going to ask these more experienced soldiers for their recommendations and for their advice, and you're going to ask them what they think before you make a decision. And they're going to give you some recommendations. I said, but when you make that decision... You have to own that decision. Even if somebody made a recommendation that you're going to follow, that decision is yours. So if things go well, you've got to give others the credit. If things go sideways and don't go well, you've got to take ownership over that decision. You can't, you can't fall back on placing blame on somebody by saying, oh, you know, I, I got a recommendation from this sergeant here. That, you know, that, that's why it failed. No. No, you know, you you are the owner of that decision, and you've got to, and, and you've got to uh, carry yourself that way. So that that respect and integrity and decision making so important for young leaders to keep in mind. Because I know a, young, a lot of young leaders must have the same thought of this young Polish lieutenant about how do I lead these people who have so much more experience than I do, are so much older than I am. But you know what? You're in the leadership position. And you got to take the reins, and you got to do it because that's what you're getting paid for, and that's what your soldiers are expecting you to do. So I'll pause there. Hey, I love it. I love it, John. Um, I'm going to give you a new acronym here, my man. So you got respect, integrity, decisions of grid. I'm going to you, I'm going to give you a new positive uh, acronym. It's called RIDE. And the E is going to be expectation management. Yeah. You, you, On the you know, least, Matthew, uh, the understanding importance of expectation management, my man. You, you know what, Matthew? I, I've, I've found that so many leaders complain that, you know, their subordinate doesn't meet an expectation. I like to say to those leaders, well, have you ever told those people that you lead what your expectations are? And a lot of times the answer is no. But, but isn't it funny? You know, we as leaders, 
we have a certain we have a certain uh, amount of uh, you know tactical technical leadership experience, and we think that these people we're leading have have the the same experience that we have, and a lot of times that's not that's not true. So we've got to communicate our expectations very clearly to those we lead if we want those people we lead to meet those expectations. And, and Matt, you tell me, is, is, is that what you were talking about with expectation management? Absolutely. And I love it. I, I love this, uh, you know, back and forth here. Because like you're saying, iron sharpens iron. And that's exactly how it works. It's, we all have our own individual processes of what we understand. Um, whether you're at the junior level, senior level, um, it's iron sharpens iron, and um, I love it. Let's let's ride. Okay, over to you. Yeah, but that, that that acronym though, Matthew. I'm, I'm sorry, I cut you off there. You said it's R I S E, and the E is expectation management. Uh, do you recall what the R I and S are for? Yeah, respect, integrity. You said decision making. Yes. And so, and then the expectation management is the year. Okay, very good. No, I appreciate that. Thank you. Okay. So, as we are obviously having a very engaging conversation without a lot of warfare here between the Army and the Navy, I'm delighted. I just want to. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to get into a uh, just a quick story. Uh, that you're willing to share, John, about a time when you had everything pretty well planned out for, uh, you know, an important mission and things just uh, were unpredictable, as predictable as we tried to make this scenario. And, And how did you recover once it derailed. And that's really where we, we spend the, the remainder of the show and trying to give our audience who we love, uh, and I don't think gets enough credit for what they do every day uh, on, the, uh, on the front lines, some indicators that we all need to be aware of, which is obviously our own emotional intelligence, our own trusting of others, our own ability to to see as far as we can and plan as far as we can, but nothing is perfect, right? So if you have that story, um, go ahead and share it. Yeah, Kat, this is a really bad story. Um, It's from when I was over in Ramadi. We we first got there. We took transfer of authority in July of 2005 from the brigade that had been there before us. And one of the things the brigade – that had been there before us was trying to do was recruit Iraqis to join the police because, you know, if we could, if we could get the Iraqis to join the police force, we were going to be able to let them take the lead on securing Ramadi. And that's exactly what we wanted to do. You know, when you're fighting a counterinsurgency, that's a, certainly a good, good, good step to take. So at any rate, when they were recruit, when they were conducting their recruiting uh, events every month, they were getting like two or three people to come to the recruiting event to sign up for the Iraqi police. And then we, we continued that effort again, two or three people a month, you know, uh, showing up. And it, we weren't going to turn a corner that way. So uh, simultaneously, I was engaging the tribal leaders there, the governor, and listening to what they had to say. And then we were making some adjustments to the operations we were conducting to 
uh, align with um, what the tribal leaders were telling us, the, the you know, population of Ramadi, how they wanted us to act. For example, uh, you know, going, we, we were doing uh, random uh, inspections in homes where we would just go into a home randomly and soldiers would rifle through drawers and stuff looking for bomb-making material and, you know, weren't finding anything because these were random, random searches. And we, you know, made a decision that, hey, as, silly, as, as simple as this sounds, hey, let, let's go into homes and conduct searches based on actionable intelligence rather than, than just uh, randomly because you're only pissing people off. You're only creating more insurgents that way. So anyway, we, we were making changes like that based on what these tribal leaders were telling us. Fast forward to uh, December of 2005, I got word from the tribal leaders that if we conducted a recruiting event, we were going to have success. The tribal leaders were going to tell their their men to, to come in and join the police, and the imams were going to send the same message out. So we had a recruiting event at the glass factory right outside of our forward operating base in Ramadi. It was going to be conducted January 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. January 2nd, we have 200 Iraqi men standing in line to join the police. I mean, this is up from two or three. 200. We were ecstatic. We couldn't believe it. So, you know, we brought them into the glass factory, into the walls of the glass factory, processing the men, you know, because you have to do some security checks on these folks. And uh, we were going to be shipping them off to police training about two weeks from that time. So that was the first day. The second day, January 3rd. 400 people standing in line to join the police. We couldn't believe it. It's like we turned a corner here. The third day, uh, January 4th, we had about 800 people standing in line. I mean, this is not an exaggeration. We couldn't believe it. We, we thought, okay, finally we're making an impact here. I made a very, very... I'll just say this. I made a decision to conduct that recruiting event for a fourth day in a row. And on January 5th, we had almost 1,000 people standing in line, 1,000 young men standing in line to join the Iraqi police. And I was out there talking to my uh, enga- uh, leader engagement officer, uh, best friend, who was a really close friend of mine, Mike McLaughlin, uh, about how successful we were doing with this recruiting event. I was standing out there. We were amongst the group of people out there talking to Mike. And then I came inside the glass factory because I had to run over to the government center to meet the governor. And as soon as I walked inside the walls of the glass factory, there was the sickening explosion. And I looked outside the wall and I could see the smoke coming up. And I walked back out there and there were about at least 100 dead Iraqis my best friend, Mike McLaughlin, was killed. Uh, we had uh, Sergeant Khan, who was a, a Marine dog handler, killed by that suicide bomber who detonated his vest in this crowd. Had several of our soldiers seriously wounded. And it was just devastating, uh, really devastating. A mass casualty situation, sending people over to our Charlie Med at our forward operating base. And... Uh, we, we continue to process the people who are already inside of the glass factory, but obviously the event ended right there. And I called everybody together, my subordinate commanders together the very next day, because we did have to conduct an after-action review to determine how we were going to 
improve our security because two weeks from that point, we were going to have to bring 200 more Iraqis back in and put them on buses and send them off to police training in Baghdad. So I started the meeting by saying, okay, this is going to be focused on what lessons did we learn so we could improve the security for two weeks from now. I said, but one thing we're not going to talk about is who's to blame for this terrible disaster that happened because I am the one to blame. I'm the one who made a decision to do this a fourth day in a row. And really, Cad and Matthew, anybody who knows anything about counterinsurgency operations, you never do something a fourth day in a row because the insurgents are always watching. They're watching for patterns. If you give them enough time, they're going to see those patterns and then they're going to attack. And because of the poor decision I made, that's exactly what happened. Um, so the lesson I learned from that is, first of all, uh, a leader has to take the responsibility for those poor decisions and not place blame on somebody else or, or not, you know, just, just, just own it, take responsibility. Because everybody knows it's your responsibility anyway, so you've got to own it to maintain your credibility. And then... Um, you know, it was just it was just a devastating thing. And, and the other thing I learned from that is, you know, I, I couldn't I couldn't lick my own emotional wounds there. I mean, there were still soldiers and Marines in that brigade uh, relying on me to continue to lead. You know, you just you just can't get down on yourself, even when you make a very poor decision like that. And a disaster happens because of your decision. You've still got to lead because there's people depending on you. And that's really how I was able to get over that mistake was realizing that, hey, there's people depending on me here, and, and, and I've got to continue to provide them the leadership that they're expecting. So I think those are the two, uh, you know, some of the major lessons I learned is you've got to take responsibility when you make those poor decisions, even when disaster occurs, and you've got to continue to lead because that's what people are expecting you to do. So that, that, that's the story I wanted to share. I share that story now and then, not often. Uh, but I, I, I share this story for one reason, because I think it's a good lesson for others. Any leader who's in any, anybody who's in any position of leadership is going to face adversity. They're going to face challenges, maybe some, some not as bad as that one was. But um, we, we all make mistakes. We've got to own it. And then we've got to drive on and, and move forward, because that's what our that's what the people we lead are expecting us to do. And the reason I share that story is just simply to try to help other people. Well, John, thank you for that powerful story uh, that you just shared. And I'm, I'm sure everybody who's listening feels privileged uh, to hear that. And it's humbling for so many reasons on so many levels. When we think about the lessons learned, uh, as I'm sure you do, and you process out the ideas that you shared with us earlier on uh, character and um, cultivating trust uh, and caring. No doubt there was a lot of caring that went into that. How do you bounce back in cultivating trust when you know that there are questions about what happened that you just don't really have control over. And that's, that's yeah. my final question for you. Yeah, I, I, think, the, I think the big thing, Kat, is, is um, to be able to maintain that trust is by 
allowing yourself to be accountable in front of others, admitting you made a mistake, and not placing blame on somebody else. And I, I, I think that actually adds to one's credibility as a leader and sustains trust when, when, when you do that. Now, there have been times when I've broken trust over my 40-year career, and, you know, there, there are ways a leader could break trust. A lot of times it's, it's nothing more than perception that could break trust with somebody. And, and I think the best way to repair trust, if you break it, and by the way, I don't believe I broke trust in this case. I, I believe I sustained it because of me admitting that I made that mistake and, and, and saying, okay, we got to move forward. Hey, if there's anybody to blame, I am. But, but if, if you do break trust, I think, the, the, uh, I, I think it's a, a relatively easy process, believe it or not. I think, first of all, you have to admit that you made the mistake. The second thing you have to do is apologize for that mistake, and then you've got to explain to the person or persons you broke trust with how you're going to correct those wrongs that allowed you to either create that perception or to actually break trust with somebody. So I think it's a three a three step process. You have to admit it, you have to apologize for it, and then you've got to you know, change your process or your procedures or something and let people know how you're going to change so it doesn't happen again. The key for that, though, is the the quicker you acknowledge you made the mistake and apologize for the mistake, the quicker you do that, the higher probability that you're going to be able to repair that trust that you broke. The longer you take to acknowledge you made the mistake and apologize for that mistake, the longer you take to do that, the less likely it is that you're ever going to be able to repair trust. So you have to do those first two things very quickly. That's that's very powerful, absolutely. Um, and you know, time is time's everything. And I, I I love how you just presented that there, General, um, of the importance of taking accountability, being somewhat humble. And to be able to communicate what you see, what you feel, um, what you're witnessing is, is critical. And all too often we take our own egos or we take our own, you know, brains to say, you know, let's see how this turns out, whether how big or small it is. It's, uh, I love how you, uh, how you just articulated that. Yeah, yeah, and the key is humility. You've got to be humble enough to be able to do that. And I'll tell you, if you have a big ego or if you have too much pride, you're not going to be able to do that effectively. And that's why some leaders could never repair that trust when they break it because their ego and their pride gets in the way, and 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 they don't allow they they don't allow humility to kind of factor into their their leadership role. You know, John, is where. We're getting, yeah, we're getting to uh, the end of our show today. I just want to do a a quick recap uh, before I turn the last question over to Matthew. And I want to go back to uh, the beginning of the show when you talked about you tell stories in Iron Sharpened Leadership about some things that were failures, and we learn from our failures. We grow from them if we process them in a way that enlightens us and in a way that helps others learn from us. You also talked about going into 
your role uh, in a very uh, dark place there uh, during one of the darkest times of the Iraqi war, where you were told to take care of yourself, plan to eat well, exercise, and immerse yourself in something that takes your mind off of what you're doing, whether it's uh, a book or in today's world of connectedness, even though we shouldn't be doing that in a theater of war, obviously, um, you know, streaming something that could be picked up uh, by, uh, you know, uh, electronic media. But thinking about ways that we can give our mind a break uh, to, to restore us and to give us opportunity for reconnecting with ourselves and even our dreams. And now the third part of this, which I see is the lesson of being humble and a a sincere apology uh, to embrace not only authenticity, but the longevity a leader needs to really be impactful. Did I miss anything there? No, I think think those were the high points, uh, Kat. I I think think you you nailed it. Well, you know, as, as we go through each and every one of these shows, our goal and our audience knows this um, because we we share from our hearts and the hearts of our guests so openly is to create these well-being nutrients that help others become more resilient. And we want to, you know, give a shout out to our sponsors, MagnusWorks.com, the Well-Being and Resilience app, and uh, the National Stand and Staff College, where obviously... Uh, we also have the Emotional Brilliance Academy. Let me just uh, turn this quickly over to my co-host, Matthew, for the, the final question for today. It's, it's been such a, an honor to have you on the show, John. Um, or I apologize, in general. Um, <laughs> Matthew, I, I prefer John. <laughs> then that's exactly the transition that we go from, you know, being in uniform to being of a of a individual or not just an individual for ourselves but also for everybody else it's that uh you know it's that transition so um you know i greatly appreciated this opportunity just to get to know you and i uh i do have one serious question for you with everything that you've done throughout the globe what's your favorite pair of socks ah I'd say uh, Under Armour running socks. <laughs> All right. Oh, perfect. What, what color? Oh, I usually wear I usually wear black. Yeah, but are they cotton? Oh, oh yeah, they're cotton. I think they're cotton. Yeah. Yeah, but we preach cotton kills. You know oh. what I'm saying? <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, tell you the truth, I don't know. I don't know what material they are. Just uh, maybe, maybe they're not cotton. I have no idea. I didn't know cotton kills. Well, uh, the reason why I ask this question is because you know we're always on our feet. You know, we're always serving other people, and it, the, the first thing that we do in the morning, we put socks on. We never think about the material. We never think right. about like what's it doing to our. I mean, if we didn't have feet, then what would what would we be doing, right? And so yeah. that's what—that's the reason why I asked that question. Well, okay. you know, in all honesty, there are some of us who are listening who don't have feet. There are some of us who are listening who, uh, 
may not have arms either. And uh, while we like to make a, a joke uh, of the socks, and we uh, we often uh, use this as a closing, obviously, for those who are listening, you're always waiting to hear what our guests will say, because it is humorous. And sometimes when we talk about a dark subject like death, especially death, uh, that impacts multiple people. We we need to lighten the mood up a little bit. So we're we're grateful uh, that you've been with us, John. And we have in every one of our interactions with you, we always learn something. You and I have known each other since the Greencastle days when you were not a general. Uh, you were a technology and strategy consultant, and I was always blessed to be able to work with you and that team. And it's so good to see your career. Uh, where you've been and where you are headed, and we'll stay tuned. What what kind of a website do you have, and what is the location of that for our listeners? Yeah, I mean, uh, I actually have two websites. Don't ask me why I have two websites, because they connect with one another. <laughs> one, is, one is leadergrove.com. The other one is johngronsky.com. And uh, the, the other cool thing is, uh, Kat, and I think I mentioned this to you when we were talking a while back, that I just rolled out some online leadership training that people could actually go to my website at a very reasonable price and and get some online leadership training if they don't have uh, an opportunity to go to an on-site workshop that I conduct. But uh, anyway, I appreciate you asking that. Uh, So connect with me. Go to my website. Connect with me there. Oh, one other quick thing. I do have another favorite pair of socks, and it's my mini golden doodle socks. Because uh, I do have a mini golden doodle. And so, you know, there's a mini golden doodle on, on this cool pair of socks that I have that I really, I, I, I guess they're my favorite pair when you come right down to it. I just don't wear there them as often as I do my running socks. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have enjoyed today. Uh, we are always, always so grateful for everyone sharing, but particularly today, General John Gronsky, for yours. To all of you who are listening, know that we love you. Uh, We care about you. If you need us, you know where to find us. And until next week, you're listening to Strategies for Turbulent Times. Be safe out there. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Strategies for Turbulent Times. We hope Dr. Cat and Captain Matt were able to help you create a plan or simply steer clear of the unknown with ways to overcome challenges in your own life. Until next time, be brilliant and stay fearless. <laughs>